This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. And get ready to listen up. Are you ready? Are you really ready? All right, Kevin, speak. We're to fired us. up. Yes. This is all right. Thanks, Ron. That's exciting. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and welcome to a beautiful, sunny summer day in Petaluma. Man, this is just glorious. I grew up in, in SoCal down by Pasadena, and I never thought I'd see the day where I was wearing a sweater in May. It's kind of freaking me out right now. But you know what? This is where we are, and I love it. It's beautiful, and when this, these clouds clear out and the rain's gone, we're going to have a beautiful sunny day. I can just feel it at least for 10 or 15 minutes. So it's going to be a good time. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, here's a little bit about me. Most of you know, because I talk about these guys a lot. I'm married to a wonderful gal named Maria. She was on Keys earlier today. She's just, uh, just fantastic, and I love her so much. And I, we have two kids. We have Maddie, who's two and a half years old, and we have Landon. And he is sneaking up on 11 weeks old now, which is really, really fun. But one of the things that I found uh, after I became a parent, that I didn't know this is how actually life goes when you become a parent, but I realized this. And parents, you'll resonate with this. And if you, have, uh, if you don't have kids but you have friends who have had kids, you'll, you'll see the shift that I'm talking about. Tell me if you resonate. The shift from uh, getting together with your friends and talking about current events and talking about politics and movies and what's coming out and what's new and where we're going next weekend to things like, hey, uh, so-and-so, Johnny rolled over last week for the first time or Susie had her first solid bowel movement yesterday. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. Uh, my, my son started walking at this age. When did your kids start walking? When did they start talking? Oh, did they learn their ABCs yet? Right? We, we have this fundamental shift in our conversation to our kids' achievements. And we really, we value any achievement, right? As big or as small. Oh, they didn't spit up on me this morning. Or they did. Maria said right before she walked out on stage, our son landed just spit up all over her shoulder. It's just such a great time, you know? Such a joy to have this little bundle of spit up all over your shoulder. But one thing I've come to realize as I talk to a lot of Sonoma County parents is that 90% of our kids in Sonoma County have pretty much everything in the top 90th percentile, right? Have you noticed this? So that means they're like the best at everything. Basically, they, um, they walked in the top 90th percentile. They talked in the top 90th percentile. Their heads are in the top 90th percentile. Everything about them. And this actually kind of freaks me out. I don't know if you walked out this logic, but in 20 years... We're going to have people entering the workforce who are uh, excellent communicators, great talkers. They're going to take my job. They are excellent walkers, even though their heads are the size of watermelons. This is is the life that we're going to. This is the next generation of world changers. And so uh, it's a little terrifying. I'm a little scared about that. Uh, But one thing that I realize in all these conversations, and I'm guilty of it myself, is how quickly we communicate indirectly to our kids, and it was communicated to us, that um, success is the thing that's supposed to be valued, right? Everything from walking and talking to ABCs, it goes into school, my kid's on the honor roll, and you have these ugly bumper stickers that you would never put on your car before you had kids because they're just horrible, right? Big block letters. Uh, I'd love to see a bumper sticker that said something like, my daughter got a C-, minus, but you know what? I love her anyway. She's fantastic. Not a bumper sticker that says, my kid could beat up your honor roll student. That's not really the direction I want to go. Although, what are we doing? We're saying, I value the achievement of being a big stud. You know, that's my parents. That was theirs. My son's a big stud. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't theirs. 
Um, I, I'd love to see a bumper sticker that said, my kid got a D, but you know what? He's a really kind person. That would just be really great. You know, I think I'd really like that. I would have loved that when I was a kid. Um, and it goes all the way through, right? We, we value our son or daughter getting the starring role in the school play or being in the star athlete in sports. It goes on and on. And we don't mean to do this as parents, but I think what has been communicated to us when we were kids growing up and then what's communicated to our kids indirectly is that your value and your success are somehow tied together. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the idea that success actually steals our life away because we have come to believe that our value and our success are tied together. Uh, there's an Alanis Morissette song that came out a while back that was called Perfect. And it was a song from a parents to a daughter. And it was this really haunting song about how you just need to do more, work harder, try harder, do your best, push yourself, strive, achieve. And the last line is what really got to me as I listened to this song. It says, we'll love you just the way you are if you're perfect. And I just think, man, that's the haunting reality that a lot of us have underlying. We wouldn't say it, but we, we have this underlying thought that if we can achieve more, if we can do more, if we can be a success, then we will be perfect. And we're constantly praised for our successes. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, except that we begin to buy into uh, lies. We believe that success equals value. And when we do that, not just when our parents tell us, but when the media tells us that this is what it means to be perfect and right and, and good, uh, when school tells us that, when our jobs tell us, our employers tell us, you know what, I value you because you've done this. You hit the sales mark. You did this. You did that. We begin to believe in a lie. And I want to call this lie. I didn't make this up. I heard this from another pastor, and I think it's, it really speaks to what we're talking about. Uh, we internalize these messages and buy into what we're going to call today the lie of acquired significance. The lie of acquired significance, uh, which basically tells us we will matter if, and you can fill in the blank. I'll matter if I have the right job. Then, then I'll really matter. I will have value if I have the right wife, if I wear the right clothes, if I have the right amount of money. Which, by the way, for most Americans, what is the right amount of money? More. Yeah, it's more money than I currently have, which is why we go into debt to try to get more. Uh, I want to do a little side note, by the way. Tens of thousands of people are experiencing freedom through a small group called Financial Peace University, and we're offering that this summer. If you feel stuck around the areas of money, if you find that that's causing fights in your marriage, or you just don't know what to, to do because money is this tension for you, join Financial Peace University. Uh, we have people who took it last session, and they're doing it again because it's been so powerful in their lives. Um, but we believe that will matter if we have the right car or uh, if our kids are high achievers. If you've been in the church for any period of time, hopefully not in this church, but, but maybe. If you've been in the church for a while, maybe you believe this lie. I will be significant. I will matter if I do enough for God. If I do enough church stuff, if I make a big enough impact, then I'll really matter. Then I'll really have a life of purpose. Then I'll really have a life of, uh, that people really value me. And that becomes our core. And when we do that, we buy into this lie of acquired significance. And that's what we're going to talk about, is that that's actually a lie, that there's actually significance that's found outside of anything we can acquire. And I was actually prepping the sermon and talking to uh, a couple of families in the church, and they asked me, they said, Kevin, is this going to be one of those sermons where you tell us that it's bad to be successful? And the answer is no. It, it's actually really good to be successful. It's fine to be successful. In fact, I believe that God created you to 
produce and to work and to provide. It's not a bad thing at all. It's part of the way God designed you. Look at Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. This was the man's vocation. It was his calling. It was what he was created to do, to go into the garden. God placed him there to work and to take care of it. We find out in the bigger creation story that God gave the man dominion over the animals to take care of them and to tend them and to be a steward of the environment. That was his calling, and he needed to be successful at that. It was his mission. It was his purpose. See, our God, he's infinitely creative. And when he created you, he made you in his image and he gave you his mark of creativity. That's one of uh, the parts about being made in God's image, is that you were made creative. And if you stifle that, if you don't produce, if you don't work, if you don't create, you're actually stifling part of God's image. So it's really good for us as people to be creative, to produce, to dream, to try new things. But like all of God's good gifts, uh, I think that humanity, and maybe some of us this morning, take that gift and we... Uh, we use it for something it was never intended to be used for. We take the gift of creativity, the gift of our ability to dream and to plan and to succeed and to achieve. We take that gift and we use it so that we will be accepted by other people, so that we'll be envied by other people, so that we'll be appreciated, so that we'll be loved. Sometimes we uh, use it so that we can find meaning in life. I have this job, and I know that if I get to the top of my job, if I get to the top of my game, the apex, then my life will have meaning. And the truth is, we get to the top, and then we realize, well, it's not actually what I thought it was going to be. It's not as fulfilling as I thought. Uh, I know this. I, it's not just in the secular world. It's, it's for me. It's for guys in ministry. I remember thinking early on, man, if I could just be a senior pastor someday, then I would arrive. Then I would be there. And I had this whole plan, this whole timeline of when I would be a senior pastor and when I would arrive and really hit the apex of my ability to uh, produce and create and lead. And God reminded me, it's not about that. You're not going to find meaning in your job. You're going to find meaning in something else which will enable you to, to live and to do your job the way that God created you to. Another way I think that we, uh, we take this gift of God and we um, pervert it, and we use it for something that was never intended to do, is when we, we take work and we use it to escape. We use it to escape our wife and our kids or our husband. Think about this. Ha- have you ever had one of those uh, weeks where your husband is just nagging at you, or your wife is just nagging at you, and don't you find it easier to work long hours on those weeks? To kind of be away? Because you know that at, at work, people listen to you. They have to. I remember when I was a little kid growing up, my dad's a principal, and he used to come home, and Todd and I would just be ignoring him, and, uh, like little kids do, and he'd say, how come I can have 500 elementary school kids listen to me and do everything I say, and I come home and my own two kids won't listen to me? It's those times when we actually use this desire that God gave us to create, to escape from our kids, to escape from our wife, and when we do that, we pervert the gift that God gave us. Because one of the gifts that God gave us, actually one of our most important gifts, is our family. Husbands, it's your wife. And maybe there are some husbands here who need to listen to this today. Because you've been using work to escape. Maybe there's some wives here who need to hear this message today because you've been using it to escape. Maybe there are some of us who are followers of God here today who actually use work to escape from God. Maybe it's your secular job. I'm too busy to actually slow down and engage with God. Or maybe it's ministry. I'm just doing so much ministry that I never actually have to stop 
and allow God to speak into my life to show me the things he wants to grow and develop and change in me. And I know as long as I just work and work and work, I can kind of put God off to the side. And maybe if I do that long enough, I'll earn my way to be close to God. He'll just kind of let me slide in. And friends, that's not the life God created you for. He created you for a life of intimacy with work that flows out of that. Tell me if you can identify with what I'm about to say. And if you can, I think this message might be for you. If you've ever thought this somewhere deep down where you wouldn't tell anybody, but if you've ever thought this, I'm going to be somebody someday. I'm going to prove to them, my wife or my kids or the people I went to high school with, my coworkers, I'm going to prove to them that I am somebody. You know what? I'll work long hours, seven days a week. I don't care if it costs me my health. I don't care if it costs me my marriage. I don't care if it costs me my kids. I don't care if it even costs me my soul. I'm going to pay that price because I can't stand feeling like a nobody. I can't stand feeling unaccepted. I can't stand feeling like I'm not loved. And so I will perform. I will produce. I will earn. I will accumulate. I will strive. I will drive. I will achieve until I am somebody. If you've ever had a twinge of that thought, someday I will be somebody, then you've missed the heart of God. And God has something he wants to speak to you this morning. There's a guy in the Bible, uh, and his name is Solomon. And he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. Now Solomon is uh, known as the wisest man who ever lived, the richest man who ever lived. He had more money than all of us combined. He had uh, more wisdom than all of us combined. He had more wives than all of us combined. But that's another story uh, for another day. And he went through his whole life trying to achieve trying to be somebody, trying to figure out the meaning of life, the purpose of life, the key to life. And then he wrote Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life. And this was actually the first New Life Bible study I ever got into, which if you've read Ecclesiastes, it's kind of depressing. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless is pretty much the theme of Ecclesiastes. And so I would get up on Monday morning and go to this men's group and meaningless, 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 until I finally figured out what he was saying, which was all the things I've tried to do to make my life matter, they were meaningless. Listen to what he says about significance in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success by their envy of their neighbors. They're motivated to success by the envy of their neighbors. They want their neighbors to envy them. But this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Because once you achieve success, it's gone. You want something else. You realize it was not what you thought it would be. We were created by God. He created you with a desire to produce, to dream, and to develop. And that's a good thing. And we need to know that from the beginning. That's how God created you. If you are not producing, creating, dreaming, developing, you're not living in the fullness of the way God created you. And God created us with a longing to be loved and accepted. All of us know that. We've experienced it. We want to be loved and accepted unconditionally. But the lie of significance comes in when we believe that we will be loved and accepted if we create and produce. We'll be loved and accepted if we create. We'll be loved and accepted if we produce. And if we can't do that, then we won't be loved and accepted. This is what happens, and I think think this is why, and I don't know for sure because I have not hit the midlife crisis stage, um, but I think this is why people have a hard time when they hit the middle of their life. They realize that looking back, have I done enough? Have I produced enough? Have I created enough? 
what happens when I can't produce and create anymore? Will I still be of value to people? Will I still be accepted? Will I still be loved? And the answer is, maybe, maybe people won't value you. I don't know what the world will say, but God has an answer for you. God wants to love you. God values you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Mark chapter 1, and, and it's short, but I want to spend our morning looking at this scripture because I think it could transform you. So the author is writing, and, and he says basically in the beginning of Mark, he sets up the story. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus steps onto the scene to start his public ministry. This is the very beginning, and he goes to a guy named John, and John's been baptizing people. The Bible says he was preparing the way. He was a prophet, preparing the way for the people to know God, to experience God, to come into relationship. The Bible says in Mark 1, 9, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So here's the scene. John gets into the water, and Jesus comes to him, and Jesus is baptized by John, and he comes up, and we see a great picture of uh, Father God speaking, of the Holy Spirit coming and descending on him, and of Jesus there. It's the Trinity. It's what the Bible calls the Trinity, uh, the three persons of the one God in one place. And it says that uh, God said to him, you're my son who I love, with whom I'm pleased. Now, what really strikes me about this is that Jesus would actually go on in his ministry to do amazing things. He would heal the sick. He would actually raise people from the dead. He would feed the hungry. He would teach people the words of life like no one ever had or ever will. He would ultimately give his life as a sacrifice, die and be raised from the dead, never to die again, to bring us into an intimate relationship with God. He would do the single act that would change humanity forever. These are all things he would do. But at this point, Jesus has not done any of them. See, God said this about Jesus before he'd done any earthly ministry, and that's really what hits me. Before he'd done any of these things, God looked at him and said, you are my son, who I love. And we can probably understand that. We understand God's love for us, but here's the other part. I'm pleased with you. If you're here this morning and you're in an intimate relationship with God, if you're following after him, then he's looking at you right now as you sit here, and he's saying, you are my daughter. You are my son. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Not because of anything you create, not because of anything you produce, not because you're a success or a failure, simply because you are my child, simply because of our relationship that we have together. And that's true for you if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you succeed or fail in life, whether you're a millionaire today or whether you're broke, whether you just started a job or whether you're unemployed. That's true for you today if you're starting out in a marriage and everything is perfect, if you're in a really rocky patch in your marriage and you don't know if you're going to make it, or if your marriage just ended and you're trying to pick up the pieces. He looks at you and says, you are my daughter. You are my son. Not only do I love you, but I like you. I'm pleased with you. I want you to sit with that for just a second. Let it sink in. Read over that scripture. Let's flip back a slide. Read over that scripture. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to sit with that, especially that last part. You are my son who I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And I want to ask you, do you believe that? 
not just in your head, but in your heart? Has it sunk in? Do you think that's true? Or do you think God's lying to you? According to God, our significance is not earned. It actually can't be earned. We cannot do enough to be significant in the eyes of God. It's a gift that's given. And it's already been given to you. The question is, have you taken hold of it? Have you internalized it? Have you let it sink into your heart? Because we simply need to live in the reality of our sonship or our daughtership. We simply need to understand the reality that the God of the universe says, you're my child and I love you just the way you are before you do anything for me, before you go to work in the morning, I love you and I'm pleased with you. Once we embrace the truth of our significance in God, it frees us up from the lie of acquired significance. Because you're going to begin to realize that you already are significant to the Creator. And nothing can change that. And here's the really neat thing about that. When you realize that, it frees you to try new things. To dream the way God called you to dream. To create the things God called you to create. You don't have to live in fear about failure. You don't have to live in the fear of what other people are going to think or say or do if you try this new job venture or if you try this new thing at church. Because succeed or fail, you know that you're loved. You know that you're significant. You know that you matter. And nothing can change that. So now all you have to do is simply work with passion in everything you do because it's just who you're created to be. You're created to be the Son of God who has this amazing opportunity to work in whatever field God's given you, to create and to produce and to dream and be the best that you can, not to earn a paycheck, not to be accepted, not to be loved, simply to be the person you were created to be. I asked my friend John Diamond to come up and share his story, his testimony about this process, and he's in process right now. God is working in him, and God is creating and, and stirring and giving him dreams. And I asked him to share that with us because I think that his story will line up with some of your stories. So would you do me a favor? Would you welcome up John this morning? I've been stuck in a position in life for the past year and a half. I'm frustrated with my financial and emotional situation and I'm missing something in my life. I wrote that in my journal almost two years ago, and shortly after writing this, my life took a direction that I would have never imagined. I found myself working at a heating and air conditioning company, running their residential department. I was making good money, made my own hours, and I was as secure as anyone could be in our economy. But that didn't seem to be enough for me. I'd stopped growing, and at that point in my life, I based my entire self-worth on how successful I was at my job. I started using a variety of tactics to try to fill that emptiness I felt inside. I found myself depressed with my situation and I fell into bad habits. I started abusing alcohol, smoking weed, looking at pornography, anything that I could do to keep my mind off of what I considered failure. I let this stage of my life define me as a man and it put more and more pressure on me to prove that I had what it takes to be successful. It didn't take long for this to put a strain on my marriage. My secret trips to the garage so that I could get high, when no one was looking, soon began to consume me. 
Sure, I would have short periods of time where I'd be good. I'd do everything that I thought my wife and my kids expected of me. But the recognition of my good deeds never came fast enough. I did not get the feeling of being a man by being good. But something came over me in desperation one evening, and I decided to commit myself to a 30-day journey of complete sobriety. I felt that I needed to clear my head, and that in doing so, it would lead me to the next step I needed to take in my career. My journey started out very difficult, but about a weekend, my wife came in to save me. She brought me a book and said, this book is based on 40 days. You might want to take a look at it. I didn't think much of it at the time, but looking back, that was a defining moment in my life. I began to read the book, a chapter a day, just like it suggested. It was very religious for me. I was not yet a Christian, however, it captured me in just a few days. I could not wait to read the next chapter. The book was The Purpose Driven Life. If you're looking for a great life group this summer, there's two groups reading this book. After reading a chapter one Saturday evening, I felt compelled to take myself to church. My wife and kids were out of town for the weekend, and at that point in my life, I'd only been to church a handful of times, and never because I wanted to be there. (laughs) This time I came, and something was different. Ron was on his first week of preaching a series on the six drums that you need to beat evenly to have a well-balanced life. And when he finished, I sat in my chair, and I wondered if he was just talking directly to me. I wanted more. I was filled with joy and hope that day in my heart that I'd never felt before. I can tell you now what I was missing in my life. That emptiness. It was not a job. It was not more money. It was not even a better marriage. It turns out I, I... had a huge hole in my heart, and that hole could only be filled by one thing, by God's abundant love. Within two months, I was baptized. Now I come to church every Sunday. My wife and I have joined several Marriage Matters Life groups over the past two years that have helped us support a healthy recovery of our marriage. And I would not have the courage to stand here today and to talk to you openly if I hadn't joined the Band of Brothers Life Group. There I met Christian men who've allowed me to see that I'm not alone in this great battle. There you'll find some of my closest friends today. They hold me accountable to my family and to God. They encourage me and pick me up when I'm struggling and provide me the support I need to grow in my walk. With these friendships and with the support of the New Life community, I've begun to to serve in the kids' ministry and I'll be leading my first life group this summer. Since since becoming a Christian, I'm finding a new identity based on my relationship with God. And it is giving me the freedom to try new things that I wouldn't have tried before. God led me to start my own business this last February. And I have to be honest, there are times that I find my identity getting wrapped up in the success of the business. But each time that happens, God reminds me, that I can only find my true, lasting identity in Him. And God is giving me the strength to walk in that truth every day. Thank you. Thanks, John. I want to do a little thought experiment as we close this morning. Think about everything that you do in life. Your role as a parent, a husband or a wife, 
your role at work, your role here at the church, any volunteer organizations you're part of. Now imagine for a second that all of that was taken away. You were left with nothing. Would you still feel significant? Or would you feel like you were worthless? Like you were nothing because you couldn't do anything? What if you didn't have the use of your arms or your legs anymore or of your brain anymore? Would you still feel significant? That's what God wants you to hear today is you would still be significant. Not because I think so. Not because your husband or wife thinks so, but because the creator of the universe, the one who knows you more intimately than anyone ever will, created you, loves you, and speaks truth into your life. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Not because of what you can do for me, because of our relationship. I recently saw a list of the most prestigious jobs in the U.S., and Go figure, pastor wasn't on there. So I was kind of bummed out, but that's all right. My identity's not found in that. I, don't even, I think it's actually towards the very bottom. But hey, that's cool. You know, we screwed things up a little bit, you know. Most prestigious jobs. And if you are one of these things, hey, great. But don't find your identity in it. Firefighter, doctor, teacher, scientist. Sorry, lawyers, you're with me. I want to tell you something that I found to be true, and I think you'll find it to be true as well. Whatever your field is, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or someone who goes out and runs a multinational company, there's nothing more significant than being used by God in whatever field he's called you to. If you're a doctor, praise God for that. Use your gift to heal, to heal God's people, to heal people that God loves deeply. If you're a teacher, man, I praise God for you because I tried it, and it's tough. Um, but use your gift to train and teach and love little children, because Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to people with the heart of a little child. If you're a truck driver or a carpenter, if you're a, a chef, if you're a, a waiter or a waitress, if you're a pastor, if you're a stay-at-home parent, whatever you do, I want to encourage you this morning, do it with everything you have, not because it will bring acceptance. But because God created you uniquely with gifts to be used, and he wants you to use them to honor him. Not to find your identity, but to honor God for the way he created you. As we close, I want to ask you, uh, where's your core identity? Is it grounded in what God says is true about you? And this is our, our question for the morning, really. Have you let it sink down deep into your life, the reality that win or lose, succeed or fail, God loves you? You're his child. He's pleased with you. Or if you're really honest with yourself this morning, when I asked you if everything was stripped away, would you still find value in who you are? And you had to say no. Are you buying into the lie of acquired significance? I want to give us three ways to respond this morning. The first would be memorize Mark 1, 9 through 11, specifically verse 11 this week. Memorize it. It's not that hard. If you're a female, you can put daughter in there when you're talking about yourself. Um, you are my son. You're my daughter who I love. And you, I'm well pleased. Meditate on that this week. Let it soak deep through your brain to your heart. Uh, another way that you can respond this morning is to go above and beyond at work at some point this week. 
not to earn appreciation, not to earn respect, not to earn value, but simply to honor the way that God created you. Do something extra at work or whatever your place of work might be. And finally, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into an intimate relationship with God, where you know him and you walk through life with him, I want to give you the chance to do that. Because all the things we talked about are dependent on one thing, and that's your relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to find your identity somewhere else. And I can tell you there's no lasting place to find it outside of God. John spoke to it. It's the reality of his life. It's the reality of my life. It's the reality of the lives of hundreds of people in this room today. Our value comes when we know our Creator and walk with Him. So if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and you can just uh, pray with me right where you're sitting. Uh, Just pray in your head, pray in your heart, and I know God will honor that. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we come before you today standing on the truth that we matter to you. And that there's no greater gift than uh, having a relationship with you. That mattering to you actually forms us at our core. And that everything else we do flows out of that. Would you help us to know that and believe that today? Holy Spirit, would you guide us this week to live in that reality? For my friends who are here this morning who are struggling with that, who can't find uh, themselves simply in you, but find themselves trying to matter based on what they do at work or what they do for you at church or uh, who they are, I pray that you would correct that and that you would lovingly guide them to a place of intimately knowing you and knowing their identity. As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, you can pray this simple prayer after me. You can say, Lord Jesus, I know that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. Today I want to begin a relationship with you. Would you lead me on this journey of life Would you form in me the reality that I'm loved by you, that I matter to you, and that I'm significant in you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.